Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. Good morning. It's a few more minutes before it's the afternoon, so it's good to see familiar faces, um, CGs, members that used to be from Woodlands and now in East. So good to share the joy together. Um, it's my first time in Suntech, so uh, what a blessing to have this space, right? What a blessing. Well, this morning, I want to ask a question for a start. How many of you managed to secure tickets for Taylor Swift or Coldplay tickets for next year? Show of hands. Anyone? No one? Oh, yeah, a few. Wow. Congrats. Congrats. I have, uh, I have some, some people in Woodlands, a youth in particular, who bought all the days of Taylor Swift tickets. I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> but anyways, recently a news report came out, just recently. Uh, of 460 victims uh, that lost their money as a result of a concert ticket scam happened uh, in, since January. So some of you wonder, oh crap, is that me? <laughs> but anyways, uh, so, so we see a rampant amount of people getting scammed. In fact, 2022 alone, the police reported that more than $616 million was lost just that year alone on scams. And so we see an increased number of people falling for deception, being deceived. Uh, but not just deception, we also see seeds of division sown in our society as well. We look at the news recently, in fact, just two, three days ago, uh, there was an alleged bomb uh, threat to 18 locations in Singapore. Uh, and, and the police, upon further investigation, found that there was no security concerns for it. Uh, and found it to be false information, trying to spread fear, causing disunity among our people. Or even with regards to our youths, for example, where there's a growing concern among them being radicalized by ideologies found uh, on the media space. So we see seeds of division being sown in our society uh, as well. But not just that, we also see discouragement. Discouragement happening in uh, the places we live in today. For example, a father who recently had uh, strangled his two twin sons. Uh, his twin sons as a result of the health condition uh, that they grew up with of autism. Uh, and his concern was that he doesn't want them to live with the burden of having to take care of themselves once he passes away. And so he decided to relieve them of that burden. So we see people discouraged. But not just that, we also see defilement happening in our society, a rampant amount. This is one of the many cases of people conducting or committing sexual offenses and crimes in our land. Defilement, discouragement, division, deception. These are common tactics that the evil one uses to derail the people of God and also the world. The question this morning that we are faced with is, how then can we hold steady? How can we hold steady amidst a world that is so unstable? 
And this morning, as we look at the text in Daniel, we will come to learn two things that we must do in order to hold steady amidst a world we live in today that is unstable. But before we continue, let me pray for us. Eternal God and Heavenly Father, we come before you once more as your people. We ask, Lord, would you come and illuminate our minds, empower us and convict our hearts to see what you have for us this morning, your timely word, so that your word will take root and bear fruit in our lives as we go forth into the world to be disciple makers. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I titled this morning's message as Steady, Steady. Turn to someone next to you and say, Steady, Steady. Okay, for those of you who are new, those of you who are new and haven't been here before, our church is going through a journey through the book of Daniel, the book of Daniel this year. Uh, and in the past three weeks, the preaching team um, have been focusing their attention on Daniel chapter 7. And why so many weeks is because in Daniel chapter 7, it's a pivotal time in the book of Daniel where they, there's a shift happening. There's a shift in writing style. And this form of writing is called apocalyptic writing. And what it basically means is it's basically writing concerning the end times. And the purpose of it is to unveil a spiritual reality for us to see beyond what's happening right now in the present physical space. So that's the purpose of apocalyptic writing uh, that we will see from chapter 7 all the way to chapter 12. Um, and, and last week, Pastor Sandra, who was here, uh, she shared with us how it's important that we are to be a people persevering distinctly for God's kingdom. And this morning, we're going to open up Daniel chapter 8. Uh, and before we dive into it, it's, it's important for us to recognize uh, that there is a shift also in the language used. Um, from chapter 2 to 7, um, they have been using Aramaic, Aramaic. But in chapter 8, there is a shift to Hebrew. And scholars believe that the shift in language use is intentional. It's because there is a, a narrowing focus of not just anyone and everyone in the world, but there's a narrowing focus on the people of God. And that's why there's a shift in language use. And so with that, um, hopefully this helps frame our uh, time together. But right now, on the screen, there is a number of equations. Can anyone make a guess? All these equations, they are, they are related to a specific scientific theory. Anyone want to make a guess what this theory is? All those science geeks? No? It is actually Einstein's theory of special relativity. E equals mc squared. You all don't know all the other equations, but you all will know E equals mc squared. That is the irreducible minimal with regards to the theory of special relativity. And this morning, as you look at apocalyptic literature, one of the concerns we have is, wow, there's so many things going on. Like here, everywhere, it's like, oh my gosh, it's so rich in imagery. And sometimes we get lost in everything like this equation. But this morning, I hope that we can focus on the E equals MC square. The E equals MC square with regards to Daniel chapter 8 to look at what is the main message. What is God trying to say through this vision? And this morning, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're not going to dive into every single detail, but we're going to focus on the main thing, the main message that God has for us. And so to help us do that, could you take the Bibles out with you, electronically, physically? Uh, follow along with me because there's a lot of verses in Daniel chapter 8, Okay. Um, but we're not going to go through every verse. I'm just going to focus on the key things uh, for us to understand the main message. 
Okay, so let's get ready. The first thing that we're going to learn this morning on how to hold steady uh, is that we must be alert. Turn to someone next to you and say, be alert. Be alert. Don't sleep. One of the things that we're going to see in the vision um, is that we will see that evil may seem to have its way. We see uh, the evil forces at work and it seems like they are growing in power. That's what we're going to see in the vision right now. So, could you read together with me now the background of Daniel chapter 8? Ready? One, two, three, go. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at the first. Verse 2. And I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was at the Ulai Canal. Okay, thank you. Background information is not for us to glance over and fast forward like your Netflix shows. <laughs> they are important to understand the vision, okay? And there are two things that I want us to take note of with regards to this background information. The first thing is that Daniel is, and the people of God are still under the rule of the Babylonian ruler, okay? They're still under Babylonian rule. It's been three years since Daniel chapter 7, since he got the first vision. That's the first thing. Number two, we see that Daniel's vision, it takes place in between the Babylonian and Persian empire. Why do I say that? If we go back to the previous slide, we will see the names of these locations. These are not airy-fairy fictional things. These are actual locations. You can track it. You can see it in your maps if you go back and search. Susa in the province of Elam. Okay, and in there is the Ulai Canal. And the Ulai Canal is located in between the Babylonian Empire and the Persian Empire. So Daniel saw himself in between these two empires. Now it's important that we know that. Why? Because God always uses physical places, especially in the Old Testament. He uses physical places to tell us of deep spiritual truths. Okay? So this is something important for us to note as we dive into the vision. Are you ready? Ready? Okay. Right now, we're going to see the entrance of the first character. We see a ram. A ram introduced in verses 3 and 4. Verses 3 and 4. Daniel sees this ram, and this ram has two horns, two very high horns. And the distinctive about this horn is that there's one that's higher than the other. And the higher one came later than the shorter one. Okay? And this information is helpful and important for us to note as we figure out who this ram is eventually. Okay? So this is the unique physical characteristics of this ram. Now we go into the characteristics. Now, this morning, we're going to look at this table. Okay? And usually, I don't show tables, but this table is meant to help us see what is the E equals MC square in the vision that God has. Okay? So bear with me as you try to follow along with me in the scriptures, okay? So there are, there are several characteristics in a cycle that every character will go through, okay? There are four, and, and we will see through the first character, the ram, okay? In verse four, it first tells us that the ram, it tells us that no beast could stand before him. It's this idea that this ram is, no one can dominate it, okay? So this cycle where it's introduced to be indomitable, and then it also goes on to say, no one who could rescue from his power. In other words, this ram is described as someone who is indestructible. 
No one can stand in his way. So that's how it's being initially described. Then the third thing is that in verse 4, it tells us, this ram, he did whatever he wanted. He did as he pleased. Uh, And this phrase, became great. Now, it's important for us to note, the idea of becoming great here in this context, it's this idea of being arrogant. Being arrogant. So naturally, you see the progression. Because this ram is all-powerful, no one can stop him. He can do whatever he wants. And as a result, there's this arrogance that is found inside of him. Okay? And so we, we, we begin to see that. And so that's the introduction of the first character. Then comes the second character. It is a goat. In verse 5 of your Bibles, it tells us in verse 5, a male goat appears. A male goat appears, and this male goat has a very distinct feature. This male goat has a horn in between his eyes. In between his eyes. And this, this goat is seen charging towards the west of the ram, charging towards him, something like that. And that is where we see the battle coming out. Okay? And this is what we see in the text. The text tells us what happens. It tells us that the ram had no power to stand before him. He cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. Now, let's pause for a moment. Before that, in the first character, the ram, we saw that this ram is described to be someone who is all-powerful, unstoppable, the king of the universe. And then comes this goat, this new competitor. And it it tells us that the ram had no power to stand before him. In other words, the goat is even more powerful than the ram. So much so to the fact that it went on to even say that this goat cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. What does that mean? What it means is this. The goat didn't just win the ram just by a, a close fight, you know. But it was a complete dominance. A complete dominance. It's like in a boxing match. In the first round, the guy gave a KO immediately. There was no chance at all. This goat was way more powerful uh, than the ram. Now, it's interesting to note that also in the Old Testament, uh, animals are also significant um, because goats in the Old Testament are, are most powerful than rams uh, depicted in the Old Testament. So we see the writer very intentionally trying to show us the progression, the increase of power seen in each character. And then to further solidify his point, It tells us in verse 8 on the table that the goat also became great, but not just great. There's an adjective added to it. The goat became what? Exceedingly great. So we we see once again, there is an increased amount of power, increased amount of audacity of the character that is being introduced. And as a result of this power that the goat had, when they came in contact, what happened? The ram was struck. And what? The goat broke his two horns, we see. And so we see the end of the first character, the ram. The ram is defeated. What was once the king of the universe now is defeated by a new competitor, the goat. But then in verse 8, we are told once again, in verse 8, it says, but when he was strong, the great horn was broken. Similar to the ram, 
the goat experiences the same cycle, the same fate. He experienced defeat. Just like the ram whose horns were broken, the horn on the goat was also broken. Can, can we begin to see a pattern, a cycle that God is trying to show through the characters? A, a very clear cycle that we are seeing. But then comes the final character, the final character. And this final character is the little horn. What happened is that this horn of the goat, it broke off, and then from it, the Bible tells us, it broke into four conspicuous horns, and from that four rises one horn that came into prominence, and the name is the little horn. And this little horn takes the power to a whole new level. The little horn just not only had power over the physical realm. In verse 9, it tells us it grew exceedingly great. And verse 10 tells us it grew great even to the host of heaven. In other words, the little horn not just vies for power in the physical realm. He even go into the spiritual realm. Can you see the escalation, the intensification of the audacity of the characters? So we see that of this little horn. And again, we see the same phrases used where the little horn threw down some of the stars in the host to the ground and trampled on them. And then this time around, in verse 11, we are told a new information. It tells us this, And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him, him being the prince of hosts, which is God. Okay, this is referring to the temple of God, referring to God himself. He says, the burnt offering, the daily worship unto God is taken away and the place of his sanctuary, his temple, was overthrown. In verse 11. So can you see the audacity? The audacity you think that this little horn thinks he's as great, as powerful as God, that he claims to, to take over the sanctuary of God. So this is what we see uh, an increase of evil, an increase in, in uncontrolled power, if you like. But then again, just as when we think that this little horn will have its way, we see the same cycle in this final character. We see that with the appearance of the holy ones. The holy ones. Now look with me to what it says. In verse 13, it says, Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long? And then it goes on in verse 13, basically to talk about, For how long more, God? How long more would you allow this little horn to come and desecrate? To desecrate your temple? How long more? And then in verse 14, In verse 14, God, God didn't reply to the angels. God replied Daniel in the vision. He said, For 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. Once again, we see finally, for the last time, the table. <laughs> we see the same fate of the little horn. We see God himself telling Daniel, that what happens? The little horn will experience defeat only for a limited time, 2,300 evenings and mornings. This limited period of time is allowed to cause havoc. But after that, I will restore my sanctuary. I will defeat this little horn. So we see, now we have a better picture of this vision of these three characters 
These three characters. And we see this cycle happening through. So far, am I making sense? Am I clear? Hopefully this helps you as you digest the text, okay? But what are your initial thoughts when you first read this? Chaos? Confusion? What is going on? Why would God allow these creatures, these characters to do what they want? Where is God in all of this? It's, it's no, you know, it's like it reminds me of a scene of, uh, of, of toddlers, of kids, when they are in a room with no supervision, and the parents are away, and then they give each other a look. That's when you know that havoc is, is coming up. And we ask the same question, where in the world is God? Where in the world is God in all these things that's happening? And we look at it, and we ask that sometimes. You know, recently I, I went to Aperia Mall uh, after one of my meetings, and I saw this line, can anyone make a guess? What are they queuing up for? Singaporeans love to queue, right? Can anyone guess what this queue is for? Shout out. Sorry? Liho. Li okay, good guess. But no, not Liho. Sorry, bubble tea? Okay, same. No? Anyone else? Sorry, banana fritter. Good guess, but no, not the right answer. <laughs> Sorry. Free gift. Also not correct. The, the line that I found them queuing for is actually tarot cut reading. Ah, same reaction as the first service. Ah, tarot card reading. So that's the line that we see here. And so I went up to one of the, the people queuing. I asked him, hey bro, what's this line about? He said, oh, this is a trend. It's trending now. A lot of people like to uh, go and get their tarot card reading. So I asked him, hey, why, why are you queuing up? What's the, why, why are you doing it for? He said, Oh, because I'm at a crossroad right now. I'm doing something and I'm not sure whether I'm doing it correctly. So I'm trying to get some affirmation, some assurance that I'm on the right step and doing the right direction. So I'm like, oh, okay, thanks. My friends, I, I, I show you this picture because we see the table that we saw just now about how evil is intensifying. It gets worse on the surface. And, and, and in this world that we live in this day, it's the same. The evil around us may not be so overt. It's more insidious in nature because on the surface, this is, it's pretty harmless. You're just getting some wisdom, some advice. But we all know that there's a deeper spiritual aspect to it. That evil is trying to target what humanity soul desires. Purpose, direction, affirmation. These are things that we see it manifested in different means, just as how I showed you earlier with the different tactics that the evil one uses. It's more insidious. It's not just seeing wars happening. It's right now happening in our midst, and we don't see it sometimes. The question then is, where is God in all of this? As we go back to the text, where is God in all of this? And so it brings to the second point. There are two things that we can do to remain steady. The second thing is that we can be assured. We can be assured. Evil may seem to have its way, but God will have the final say. We can be assured. Let's look at what the text says next. God then goes on to tell us exactly what that vision meant. 
The first thing he tells us through the angel Gabriel is that this vision will come to pass in the end times. Now, do note that this was written many, many years ago. Okay? And for that, this vision to come to pass, which did come to pass, more than many years ago, it came to pass, whatever the vision came about. What does it tell us today? If whatever vision that was told here had happened already, what does it tell us today? It tells us that we are living not in the end times, but in the very last days. That's what it means. We are living in the very last days. And so the angel Gabriel then went on to tell us who the ram represents. And essentially, it represents the Medo-Persian Empire. The ram with the horn, if you check history, we will see that more than 200 years later, after the vision was given to Daniel, that this Medo-Persian Empire was formed. The Media Empire came first, but eventually the Persian Empire outgrew the Media Empire and conquered it to form the Medo-Persian Empire. Okay, so this is a map that I want to show you guys for some better understanding. At the peak of the Medo-Persian Empire, this is how much land it conquered. If you see the shaded areas, the highlighted in purple, all of it belongs from Macedonia down to Egypt, all the way to next to India. That is the amount at the peak of the Middle Persian Empire. That was how much land was conquered. Now, this, this is eventually, but back then during Daniel's time, uh, the Middle Persian Empire was much smaller. So we see the vision coming to pass where eventually they conquered northward, southward, and westward. Okay, so that's the ram. Okay, and then the next one, the angel Gabriel tells us that the goat is none other than the king of Greece. Okay, it tells us in the Bible specifically, the king of Greece. And it's unanimously uh, said across all commentators and scholars that this king of Greece is none other than Alexander the Great. I'm sure many of you know who Alexander the Great is, okay, for his conquest of the modern world. And if we go back to the map, I want to show us again for better understanding. This is Greece. That small area over there, that circle, that is Greece, okay? But in the span of three years, in the span of three years, Alexander the Great conquered the entire Medo-Persian Empire. So everything that you see here, marked up with the shade in the purple, it all became part of Alexander the Great's empire. And so it happened... It happened exactly as what we see in the vision. Why? Why I say that? In verse 5, if you look with me, it says that a male goat came from the west, the west of the ram. Now, if we look at the compass, where is the west of the Middle Persian Empire? The immediate neighbor is Greece. It's Greece. So we see that coming to fruition in history. Now, what I just described is not some, some out-of-nowhere facts, but it's written down, it's recorded, it happened in history. It happened in history more than 200 years later after this vision was given to Daniel. So we see that, the angel describing that. And finally, the little horn was also described and told who this little horn is. It tells us in a later part of the text that this little horn is a king of bullface. And this king of bullface, it comes from the Greek empire. So it's one of the rulers uh, where after Alexander the Great died, um, it is one of the rulers. Now, fun fact, before we go into that, 
We mentioned just now that the goat in verse 8, okay, look with me. It says, the goat became exceedingly great, but when he was strong, what happened? The great horn was broken. Now, it didn't say that something attacked the goat. And you may be wondering, who broke the horn of the goat? If we look at history, Alexander the Great, upon conquering the Medo-Persian Empire after three years, he died at the age of 32 years old. He died at the age of 32 years old as a result of a severe fever. Of a severe fever. You can look at history, you can check history. That's what happened to him. That's what broke his empire. After his death, his empire was broken up into different parts. Uh, and of all the different parts and rulers, there came this little horn. Next slide. And this little horn is the king of Bowface, as I highlighted. And scholars believe this king of Bowface, this little horn is Antiochus Epiphanes IV. Real person, real person in the history, Antiochus IV Epiphanes. And he was one of the rulers in uh, the Greek Empire. And this guy is one of the most well-known villains of the people of God. And you can check history when you go back home of the evil deeds that he did to the people of God because he was attempting to unite the world together under the Greek Empire. So he wanted everyone to learn Greek, uh, adopt the Greek gods. And so there was a lot of persecution against the people of God. But one of the most famous historical events that took place and recorded is he actually went to take an altar that was meant to be worshipping Zeus, the Greek god. He brought it into God's temple. And he even took an animal, a pig, and he sacrificed it in the temple of God. Now, for some context, in a Jewish context, the pig is one of the most unclean animals and not even to be considered to be used as a sacrifice for God. So can you see this desecration? As we just now saw in the vision, the goat was what? He was defiling the temple of God. And so we see that in history coming to pass more than 200 years later through Antiochus IV Epiphanes. But as we remember again, the end and the fate of each of these characters lands in what? Defeat. We see finally in verse 25, God tells us that he shall be broken, but by no human hand. And true enough, more than 200 plus years later, we see the fate of Antiochus IV, where he passed away as a result of an internal health issue. There were all sorts of things, growth in his body that eventually led to his death. You can find out more after the service. But the point is this. He wasn't broken by a human hand. He was broken by the divine hand of God. I started asking the question as we look at the table, where is God in all of this? But as we look at the interpretation of the vision, we know exactly where God really is. God has always been there. God has always been in control of every part, even using the things of evil to navigate through and to fulfill His will in His kingdom. Evil may seem to have its way, but God as we learned this morning, will have the final say. But God will have the final say. 
I don't know about you this morning, but as we read this text, it's very sobering because it's rare to find a text where we see what has been talked about coming to pass in a very vivid historical manner, where we see it beyond our own eyes, where we see all these kingdoms coming to pass and falling. Exactly what God talked about in the vision. You know, as I invite the worship team out this morning, I want to spend some time as we come to a close addressing something that is specific in our midst. As we think about how evil is rampant, one of the concerns and the burdens that God gave me this morning is that we get so numbed when we read the news sometimes. We get so numbed. Why? Because ever since COVID, we see so many deaths, 5,000, 2 million, 1 million. Every single day we see deaths to a point where we get so numbed. We get so numbed to the fact that this has become part of life. It has been normalized. Evil has been normalized in the world that we live in, despite the fact that we see it increasing, more rampant in the world that we live in. And this morning, the burden is this that we have been so numb and we, we need to ask the Lord once more, Lord, would you soften my heart? Would you help open my eyes to see, to have this compassion for your people? When we see news of the things that I mentioned earlier, the different news of defilement, deception, division, all these different things, the tactics that the evil one uses, we cannot allow it to normalize it. But sometimes as we live in this world, we, we live with a sense of defeat. A sense of defeat. Because this has been normalized and it seems like God is not doing anything. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel that way. We may feel that this world is just like that. And we just go on to live our lives, allowing the things, the evil around us just to numb us. But this morning, I believe the Word of God wants to remind us to renew in us a fresh trust in Him that God is truly in control that God is even using the evil things in your life, in this world to move it to fulfill the purposes of His kingdom you know in, in, in the scriptures this morning we see the fulfillment of this vision but the greatest fulfillment, my friends, is not in just this vision, but it's the fulfillment of the coming King, of the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, who all the prophecies in the Old Testament are fulfilled in this person named Jesus, who, who we saw in the New Testament, who we see with our own eyes. That Jesus who led a sinless life had one mission and that mission is to come and give eternal life to all who choose to put their faith in Him. And on the surface, evil may seem to have its way as Jesus lived His life on earth. Even to the point on the death of the cross, people think you must be a joke. What do you mean by King of the Jews? How can the King of the Jews be hung on the cross See, in Romans times, to die on the cross is the most shameful thing ever. Even Roman citizens are not even entitled 
to die on the cross because it's too shameful for Roman citizens. It's only for the scumbags of society. And as Jesus go to the cross, as they mocked him, King of the Jews, evil may seem to have its way back then, but as we know from the scriptures, as we know from historical evidence, that three days later, after the death on the cross, we see the Son of the living God resurrecting coming back to life and tell us that evil may seem to have its way but God will have the final say because why? God didn't just say it is finished on the cross with his words he said it is finished and he shows it with not just words but through his death and resurrection and ascension so that as today as we are believers there is hope Hope in the present while we wait for Him to return once more. There is hope that God will truly one day bring the complete defeat of all the evil that is going on. This morning, I want us to take some time to reflect and respond to the Word of God. As the worship team sings this song, Many of you here may feel like you're living in a sense of defeat. You feel like life is just like that. There will be all these news, all these deaths, all these injustices, and you just live life as it's okay. Okay with the fact that you're struggling with a systemic, a, a, a stronghold, a sin pattern, a sin addiction. And you say, God, I can't, I can't do it. I tried, I failed. Some of you feel a sense of defeat this morning as I prayed and asked the Lord. And this morning, God wants to renew in you a fresh trust in Him that He's ultimately in control, that He is watching over you, that He is directing your footsteps as you continue to take the next step in following Him daily. And so right now, I want to give us some time as the worship team lead us in this song to bring before the Lord areas of your life where you feel a sense of defeat as a result of the outworkings of the evil present in our world. Bring it before the feet of Jesus and then I'll come back for a short time of response. Christ alone will I glory for I could pride myself in badness more
God wants to speak to two groups of people this morning in the second service. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed, God wants to speak firstly to those who comes to church to visit. This morning, God doesn't want you to visit. He wants to make a home in your heart. He wants to make a home in your soul, in your life, where no longer do you need to live a life of defeat in your hands. But in the divine hand of God, you may live life with a renewed sense of hope found in the undefeated, uncomparable Saviour, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. This morning, that is you. If you have never put your faith in Jesus, I want to give you this opportunity, wherever you are at, because God is calling you to come home, not to visit, but to come home into His loving arms this day. So with all his bow and all eyes closed, if you have not put your faith in Jesus before, I want to give you this opportunity at the count of three. And I want to pray for you. One, the Lord loves you. Two, the Bible declares that this day is the day of salvation. Wait no longer. Three, I want you to raise your hand if that's you. Anyone in this place, if you have not put your faith in Jesus before, I want you to lift your hands high to the Lord. Yes, the Lord sees your hand. The Lord sees your hand. Is there anyone else in our midst? I don't want to rush this. The Lord sees your hand. Anyone else? Thank you, Lord. You may put your hand down. Father, you saw the hand that was raised this morning. We pray for the dear sister who has come home to you this day, recognizing that in this unstable world, that there is one person alone that she can hold steady to, and that is the cross of Jesus Christ, the symbol of complete, utter victory. And so God, we ask this day that you will seal this decision of hers, that as she comes back to you, May you surround her with a community of faith that will support her, that will journey along with her to help her to see once again a fresh vision that we are indeed in the hands of God. So right now, as we continue to keep our eyes closed and head bow, I want us all as believers to say this prayer together with me, with this dear sister who just received Christ. Repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. And I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, 
The second group of people are those of you who live a sense of, of, of defeat in your life. This morning, God wants to renew that. He wants to take away that spirit of defeat that comes from the evil one and replace it with a renewed trust and hope. If that is you with, again, all heads bowed and all eyes closed, I want you to raise your hands because I want to pray for you at the count of three. One, two, three. Anyone in our midst? Yes, the Lord sees your hands in the front and in the back. Anyone else who feel a sense of defeat? Let me put down your hands. Father, we give you thanks for your word. And we pray for those who feel a sense of defeat this morning. Lord, that you will come, your Holy Spirit will come. Take away that sense of defeat and anchor them in the truth, the promise of God that in the end, God will have the final say. God, so would you speak so clearly, so personally into their lives right now in the areas where they feel a sense of defeat. Lord, would you speak to them and assure them with your sure foundation, your word that is unfailing, that is unchanging. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. We're glad you had spent some time listening to God's Word. And we hope that the message has ministered to you. You can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.